0: Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Investigative journalist Mike Rothschild specializes in tracing the links between internet culture, politics, and conspiracy theories. In his new book published by Melville House, The Storm is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything, he takes a close look at QAnon, its origins, and its bewildering appeal to hundreds of thousands of Americans. Mike Rothschild joins us now. Welcome to our show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And by mispronouncing your name, is it Rothschild or Rothschild?
1: Rothschild, the S is silent. And uh, before before anybody asks, uh, I am not related to the banking family.
0: Ah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, me too. (laughs) In the uh, state dining room on October 5th, 2017, then-President Trump told a group of military officials that it felt like the calm before the storm. But when he was pressed by journalists, he refused to explain what storm he was predicting. What did QAnon followers, uh, why did they latch on to that statement? What did it mean to them?
1: Well, there's a, a long tradition on 4chan where QAnon started of these anonymous insider accounts uh, supposedly providing secret intelligence from deep within the fbi or the white house or you know the cia or whatever so there there was already this idea of these secret insiders going to 4chan to leak information and more than one person i'm sorry more than one yes yeah there there, and i write about this quite a bit in the book there was an fbi anon there was a white house insider anon at one point there was even an mi5 anon the british intelligence is your thing so there was already there were already these people who leaked what they pretended was this secret information. And somebody took advantage of the sort of hubbub that was going on around this very cryptic, still unexplained comment from Donald Trump about the calm before the storm, and worked that into the already extant conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton and about the deep state, using this idea of anonymous insiders. So a few weeks after this comment was a great time for somebody to emerge on 4chan saying, Hillary Clinton will be arrested on October 31st, her extradition is already in motion. Look for the Marines and National Guard being called up to quell the riots. It really was taking advantage of this hubbub that was already going on about what did Trump mean by the calm before the storm. And here was somebody explaining, oh, here's what here's what he meant. And I'm going to explain all of it to you. Now, never mind. It was all nonsense. But people wanted to believe it because they wanted to believe that Hillary Clinton was going to pay for whatever her crimes were.
0: And they blame uh, so much on Hillary Clinton, but also Barack Obama and George Soros, uh, which has led people to see a racist component, a black man and a Jew as as major uh, enemies of, of the United States.
1: Sure. You know, QAnon plays on the. Centuries of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that came before it plays on the decade of Barack Obama conspiracy theories, the decades of Hillary Clinton conspiracy theories. There's really very little that's new in QAnon other than its participatory element, which really is new. And you didn't really find that in traditional conspiracy theories. But the rest of it is all made of very familiar component parts. What is frazzledrip? Sure. Uh, drip is this supposed video of Hillary Clinton and her, uh, her aide, Huma Abedin, supposedly having an occult ritual where they remove the face of a young girl and wear it as, as part of this ritual. Now, there is no video like this. This doesn't exist. Um, nobody does that. But this took off uh, around, I think, about 2017, like early 2017, as an example of the depravity of the Clintons and of the horrors of the, these trafficking rings that had already been posited by the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. And so all of that got kind of pulled into QAnon as QAnon took some of those elements and added them to other elements of other conspiracy theories to create something that looked like it was very new.
0: Do uh, QAnon followers have much in common? Do they resemble any previous conspiracy group or or cult?
1: Oh, sure. There there is an enormous amount of uh, of sort of through line between past conspiracy theories and past cultic movements to QAnon. You know, one of the things I write about quite extensively in the book is the link between QAnon and these uh, affinity frauds, these scams involving a guru dispensing secret intelligence about a great world-changing event that's about to come, and only the guru has access to the information, and they're providing it to the people who are awake enough to understand it. You had things like that going back to the early 90s, these scams like the Omega Trust that I write about in the book, these things that built millions of dollars out of people and sent people to prison. Uh, that's one strand of QAnon. Of course, there's other strands of it that I'll link back to the satanic panic of the 70s, uh, you know, UFO cults of the 50s. You know, it, it, it's not necessarily a, a ladder where one thing directly leads to the next. But you can see the DNA of all those other things in QAnon,
0: including anti-Semitic blood libel.
1: Absolutely. Now- Absolutely. it's a, That's a huge part of it.
0: You uh, call it a cult in your subtitle, but some experts in cults and new religions are reluctant to label QAnon a cult or a new
1: religion. Why? What is their argument? Sure. And I think calling QAnon a cult is I, I think if you do that, you're not wrong. But it's it's a little more complicated than that. QAnon is very cult like in a number of ways and the number of its tenants. You know, it has the in-group versus out-group dynamic. It has the, you know, when you're in the group, everything is, is soft and warm and we're explaining everything to you and we all love you. The outside world is scary and these people hate you and they don't understand you. It has a very cryptic jargon and uses a lot of terms that are completely impenetrable to outsiders. But if you're inside, you know exactly what it means, you know exactly why it matters. So in in that sense, the sort of us versus them and the sort of they hate you, we love you, that's very cult-like. QAnon is different from a cult in that it doesn't really have a charismatic figurehead at the very top who, who doles out the orders and the affection and everything that that person says goes. You know That's not really what Q's role was in QAnon. Q is sort of the, the provider of cryptic intelligence. Q was, wasn't really telling people how to think. A lot of Q believers will, will sort of push back and they'll say, well, we're the only cult that teaches you how to think for yourself. And, of course, my response to that is, well, if you're being taught how to think for yourself, you know, whoever is doing that is probably some sort of cult leader. But it's it's very complicated because it hits a lot of those notes, but it doesn't hit all of them. And it doesn't quite function the way we stereotypically think of a cult as functioning. So it's, it's very complicated. And a lot of experts in cults and, and religious movements were happy to talk to me because they were struggling with the same kind of question. You know, what is this? What do we call it? And I think it's, it's still very open.
0: But in there, somebody who's calling him or herself Q, uh, didn't uh, in, in a post last September, didn't Q order believers to drop all references regarding Q QAnon, et cetera, to avoid being banned on, on social media. And then a month later declared there is Q There are Anons. There is no QAnon. He also claimed that the very term QAnon was a media creation with no real
1: meaning. Yeah. And that's actually one of the times when the Q drops are at their most cultic. That really is a method of thought control. Uh, You know, the the thought terminating cliche that, uh, you know, that's used a lot in in cult terms. That's sort of that very comforting phrase that you can repeat to yourself to absolve yourself of thinking about something um, that idea that there is no q on i mean first of all that's ridiculous you know I, I point out in the book that that term was starting to be used by believers in this You really just after the first Q drops on 4chan, you know, the most successful pro-Q book is literally called QAnon, An Invitation to the Great Awakening. So the idea that these people never used this term, that it was made up by the media, that's that's completely false. But what we've seen with with that particular set of drops, this idea that uh, there is Q, there are anons, there is no QAnon, is a rebranding. And I think whoever was making the drops. And more importantly, the people who believed that the drops were real were beginning to see themselves as being persecuted and, and that they'd attached themselves to this brand that was being attacked relentlessly by the media. And if they dropped the branding of QAnon, they could uh, they could uh, avoid some of those attacks and they could get their message out to a much wider audience and a much uh, you know an audience who's not plugged into all of the conspiracies that they felt like they were plugged in. So it's very much of a, a rebranding. Almost disguised as a method of thought control. It's just very scary that it could be so successful. Is there a start date? To QAnon? Yeah. There there is a a defined start date to it. The first Q-drop was October 29th, 2017. That was on 4chan. And of course, this was a response to an earlier 4chan post. But that's really when the the Q phenomenon really begins. And it really was was very soon that it was noticed by people in that world. You started to see people writing about it. You started to see more videos about it. And these early Q evangelists found that they could be very successful very quickly doing this, that there were a lot of people who were really primed for something like this to take off. Except this wasn't like some of these previous anons where, you know, they would post for a, a day or a week or a couple of weeks. They'd sort of throw out a bunch of you know, rhetorical questions that really didn't have any answers and they would disappear. This really had some legs. And I think it really does go back to the Hillary Clinton aspect of it. You know, this is somebody who had been a, a figurehead in right wing conspiracies for 30 years. And here she was finally getting what she deserved. And I think that's that's why it took off so quickly. But it definitely has that start date of it didn't exist before then. Now it exists. Could
0: Jim Watkins
1: uh, be Q? I think it's very possible. Um, the, the the prevailing wisdom among the people who who write about QAnon, research it, and really understand the world of disinformation is that there are probably a couple of different people who are making these drops. Early on, it was one of these four chan trolls. Uh, Quite possibly one of the early QAnon evangelists. One of the names that gets thrown around a lot is this guy, Paul Ferber. I talk about him a little bit in the Mm -hmm. book. He's this South African web programmer, very hardcore right wing. His, His writing style very much matches up with some of those early drops. And a lot of people have claimed that they were. Part of that, that they started QAnon, that they were there when QAnon started. The problem is that those first 4chan posts leave nothing to identify the person who made them. There's no signature on them. There's there's nothing to identify who did it. So nobody who claims to have done it really has any compelling proof. So I, tr- I tend to not think too much about who started making the drops because there's really no way to know. And then at so, some point in December, 4chan uh q jumps from 4chan to 8chan which is the board owned by jim watkins and i think it's Mm -hmm. there that jim or his son ron get involved with it and i think by the end it's fairly clear that it's jim or ron or maybe both of them who are intimately involved in making the posts
0: would they be q clearance patriot probably not what
1: what or who is q clearance patriot sure uh, that's a great question, and, and it, all of this stuff gets really confusing very quickly. And I don't spend a lot of time on it in the book because it does get so confusing, and there's so many names involved. Q Clearance Patriot is what Q called themselves when they started making the posts. I think they they made that that they used that term. I think about thirty or thirty five drops in. Uh, before then, they re- they weren't calling themselves anything. Now. Q clearance is a real thing. There is a Department of Energy classification called Q clearance. People who have that are authorized to work with the nuclear arsenal. That now, that idea that Q clearance was this kind of super secret, you know, dialed into the very upper echelons of military intelligence, that term has been around for quite a while. That was first used in the 1991, um, really seminal conspiracy theory book, Behold a Pale Horse. It's not true. There's, there is no Q clearance in the Defense Department. It doesn't have anything to do with it. But when the Q clearance patriots started identifying themselves as that, they were dialing into a long-established conspiracy theory tradition to make themselves sound much more important and authoritative than they actually were.
0: You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. My guest is Mike Rothschild. Who's written a book called *The Storm Is Upon Us*: How QAnon Became a Movement Cult and Conspiracy Theory of Everything? It's published by Melville House. You got—you uh, started following all of this story, uh, and began specializing in, in examining QAnon in 2018. What got you started?
1: Sure, I've been writing about conspiracy theories and scams and hoaxes for quite a while, and it was in the beginning of 2018 that I started seeing tweets about John McCain and Hillary Clinton wearing orthopedic walking boots, not because they had injured their ankles the way most of us do, but because they were wearing these these secret ankle bracelets because they had been arrested in a purge called The Storm. Hmm. I thought that this was incredible. I really needed to know everything about this. Like, I, I love stories like this. So I was like, oh, I gotta track this down. And then I started to get concerned because I realized that QAnon as it was starting to call itself, was very similar to these long-running affinity frauds that I had written about before. You know, these things that I talk about in the book, like the uh, Omega scam and Nasara, these things have been around, in some cases, since the early 90s and have built a lot of people out of money and are still going. You still see people who believe in these things, you know, decades after any sensible person would have walked away. QAnon, though, was really tied into sort of industrial complex of conspiracy theories that was coming out of of Trump world. And you started to see it linked to the Devin Nunez memo of the uh, early 2018, the inspector general report, you know, all of these, the, the Mueller investigation, you know, all of these things that were coming up in the wake of all of the chicanery going on in the Trump administration was being linked to QAnon. And I really kind of I got very troubled by the linking of these things because you could keep people on the hook with this for a long time and there was no financial aspect to it. Instead of an investment, it was selling the good feelings that you would have when Hillary Clinton and you know Barack Obama and George Soros were taken to Guantanamo Bay and executed. Th- this was something that could drive people to violence, in my opinion. And I was very concerned about it. And, it, you know, as it turns out, I was really right to take it seriously. And I, I really started kind of banging the drum about this to try to get people to look at this as something more than just some Internet kooks. It is some Internet kooks, but it's also much, much more than that.
0: Is there money to be made? Haven't some journalists and debunkers said that Q is
1: a prosperity scam uh, aimed yeah, at there uh, is- baby boomers? Yes, there is there is an enormous amount of money being generated by Q, um, and and one of the things that you find in the Q movement is a lot of infighting about it. I mean, you had that March 2019 book uh, Q and On an Invitation to the Great Awakening. That book was a huge success. That book went to the to number two on all of Amazon's books the week it came mm-hmm. out in March 2019. It got thousands of five star reviews. There was quite a bit of money generated by this, and of course this collective that wrote the book broke up because they were all fighting over who was supposed to get more money. You've got QAnon uh, t-shirt stores, or you did until a lot of these things were banned. But until recently you had QAnon merchandise stores on Etsy. You had a huge amount of QAnon merchandise on Amazon. These, these a lot of these guys have uh, Patreon pages and Venmo pages, and PayPal. They get you know, ad revenue through YouTube and podcasts and newsletters. They sell supplements and merchandise. There is a lot of money being thrown around in this movement. So with something like QAnon, it doesn't really do you any good to follow who is funding it because there's really nothing to fund. It's a movement. It's a way of looking at the world. There's there's no funding needed for that. But what you do have is a lot of uh, disciples and promoters who are really getting rich off of this. And of course, there's really no way to track how much money is being made, who's who's making it. Are they doing it legally? What are they doing with it? You, you know, that stuff is still really, really unknown.
0: Well, we saw a lot of that merchandise on January 6th, uh, shirts and flags and and hats and the like. But uh, they must have been bought somewhere. Can somebody track it?
1: It's very hard because a lot of these places have actually now been pulled down. You know, a lot of the, the QAnon merchandise on Amazon is now gone. Um, you know, Etsy and Teespring and all these other places banned all of this stuff after January 6th. But it's very hard. You know, you've got people buying stuff with Bitcoin. You've got people doing it over secure messaging, you know, done through shell companies. You know, a lot of these, these people have LLCs and Corps. I mean, they've, they've really professionalized themselves to a point where it is very difficult to track who is bringing in what. And a lot of the ways that we were tracking it have been uh, removed from the internet now.
0: You mentioned the role of a South African. Is uh, QAnon international in any way?
1: Oh, yes. QAnon is, is a very, very international movement. It didn't start that way. It really was very U.S.-centric, and, and a lot of Q drops oh. are kind of going over the minutiae of American politics, you know, the, the Senate and the Supreme Court and stuff like that. But QAnon really blew up internationally, uh, really during the pandemic, but even before that. And what you would have is every country where QAnon would find believers would kind of invent their own version of it. They would kind of sand off the parts of it that didn't really apply to their politics or their culture. And they would really amplify the parts of it that did. So in the UK, QAnon has really gotten mixed up with the anti-lockdown movement. In Germany, it's gotten really mixed up with the far right. In France, it's gotten mixed up with the yellow vest movement, which is both very far left and very far right. Uh, Japan is a huge QAnon contingent. They, they love uh, General Michael Flynn in Japan. I, I have no idea why, but mm-hmm. this is something that they've really gravitated to there. So it's finding believers and extremists of all stripes in a lot of different countries. And it kind of provides something for everybody that everybody can get behind.
0: Yeah. I was surprised uh, at reports that it's even attracting people from the far and, and moderate left. In this country, because yeah. uh, yeah, it, it strikes has. me as a very right-wing uh, organization, the, the the Democrats are the enemy. We'll get to that in a moment.
1: Sure, it is uh, it is surprisingly popular on the far left, and a lot of that was during the pandemic where you had people uh, you know everybody was locked down nobody really knew what was going on and a lot of these traditionally more progressive fringe movements things like the health freedom movement the anti-vaccine movement the the sort of organized opposition to bill gates and globalization Those people went online and they found Facebook groups to help expand on those things that they were going through, these anti-vaccine feelings, this distrust of 5G internet, distrust of Bill Gates, distrust of big pharma. And of course, Facebook's algorithm was excellent at providing them more groups to join that simply believed in different versions of the same thing. And a lot of people got sucked into QAnon that way and found themselves getting radicalized into an extremely far-right and extremely violent movement, really having no intention to do so.
0: So if they cover the full political spectrum, what do they have in common with each other, the the QAnon followers?
1: Sure, Um, you get a lot of of different uh, sects in QAnon. There are people who think JFK Jr. is still alive. And then there are people who think that that's just a deep state false flag to make Q believers look crazy. Uh, there, there's a lot of different beliefs, A lot, you know, people take the parts of it that fit with their own life and they ignore the other parts of it. You get people who are very much into the child trafficking conspiracy theories and then people who are not so much into that, who are much more into the deep state aspect of it. But what they all really have in common is a distrust of experts, a distrust of the media, a distrust, especially now medical experts, and really a, a loathing of Hillary Clinton. And that's really what it keeps coming back to is these people don't tend to have a lot in common, the sort of the more leftist Q believers and the more right-wing Q believers. But where they meet in the middle is a distrust of experts and a distrust of Hillary Clinton.
0: And I've seen it described as a belief that a deep state cabal of human traffickers exists in the top levels of power in the United States. And Democrats are deeply implicated in an international system of pedophilia and milk the victims for uh, adrenochrome.
1: Yeah.
0: Although I don't know whether all Democrats apply. Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema also included in that in
1: well, group. Well, of... yeah, that's the thing, is that with, with Q, it's, it doesn't tend to be sort of singling out individual politicians. Like you're not going to get a lot of Uh, Q believers talking about, you know, Joe Manchin or whatever, like they're all kind of lumped into the deep state together. But at the very top is this cabal of the very top of the Democratic Party, the very top of the global banking system, the very top of the entertainment industry, the very top of sort of commerce and industry. And all of these people are in this kind of six thousand-year-old power cult that has been ruthlessly exploiting its victims and, you know, funding both sides of every war and controlling all international events, and that finally Trump and Q were going to be the ones who took a stand against it. And this is very alluring to people who feel like their way of life is disappearing. Progressivism is is changing the things that they're supposed to believe. They've watched really powerful people like the Clintons, like Jeffrey Epstein get away with these things that they can't get away with. And then here's, here's Donald Trump and he's this champion of the working man who says what the rest of us just think. And it's it's not really a surprise why they would gravitate toward him and toward a cultic conspiracy theory that puts him in the center as this almost messianic figure who is going to usher in a new era of peace and freedom. You know, you, you, I see why people get sucked into that. It's very alluring.
0: Despite how crazy some of it sounds, you mentioned the claim that that JFK Jr. faked his death. Why would anybody even come up with that?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because a lot of the major concepts in QAnon are not actually put forth by Q drops themselves. Uh, Q never actually mentions the term Adrena Q never mentioned the Save the Children protests that were going on uh, around this time last year. Uh, Now, Q was posting a lot, and a lot about the election, but not really about those protests. Q never mentioned JFK Jr. faking his own death. In fact, somebody actually asked Q if JFK Jr. was still alive, and Q says no. And of course, there are still believers who think it anyway, because Q has this concept where Q will occasionally put out posts that are disinformation, that are lies, meant to throw the deep state and the media off the trail of what's really going on. So it becomes very difficult for these people to to kind of parse out what's true and what's not. So they just think everything's true. They just believe everything that the people they trust and media outlets they trust put forth, even if it's nonsensical, even if it contradicts itself, they will believe it if they trust the source who's putting, who's putting it forth.
0: But why would anyone think that military intelligence would share secret operations with civilians on a message board?
1: That's a great question. Uh, I don't know why people would believe it. I, I don't know why anybody would think that a top-level military intelligence team is using this racism-filled image board to broadcast clues about this earth-shaking event that's supposed to go on. And what happens when Q stops posting for a while? There would be times where Q would just not post for a week. Uh, 8chan went down for three months in the summer of 2019 and it came back as a different board, this board called 8chan which is the same board, basically, but it's just all the old a stuff is gone. You know, did the, did the plan to save the world take three months off? Were, you know, were the children <laughs> being trafficked then? Did they just not matter? Q believers don't ask themselves those kinds of simple questions. Conspiracy theories in general revolve around those kinds of questions never being asked. You never ask, you know, who would be involved to do something like this? How much did it cost? Who authorized it? How, how did no one leak it by now? You never ask those questions in conspiracy theories because you don't like the answers the answers invalidate the thing that you believe so you just don't ask those questions you don't think about why a military intelligence unit would use 4chan or you 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 uh you wave it away with a thought terminating cliche you say well they had to do that or the you know mm. the deep state was on them or just trust the plan everything will be okay you just put yourself in a position to not think about those things the things that the of rest of us probably would never stop thinking about.
0: Well, this is nothing new, really. Eric Hoffer published a best selling book about mass movements called The True Believer in 1951, sure. in, in which he characterized the doctrine of mass movement as not unintelligible. It has to be vague, and if neither vague, it has to be unverifiable. Yeah. So uh, that sounds very much like what we're talking
1: about here. That is exactly what we're talking about here. I, I include that quote in the book uh, just because it's like. Well, that's why I mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. None of this is new. You know, this is this idea of this sort of vague, like unintelligible doctrine, and the more vague and unintelligible it is, the more alluring it is to some people. That's we've always had that in our in our culture and in our society. And I've really in writing the book, I really wanted to encourage people to not think about QAnon as something brand new and mysterious. You know, if you strip off the the coating, you know, the, the shiny paint of social media, it's the same stuff we've been dealing with for generations. It's just dressed up a little differently.
0: You're listening to Leonard Lopit at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. we're back with Mike Rothschild, an investigative journalist who studies QAnon, and his work has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, and other publications. And we're discussing his book, The Storm is Upon Us, the How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything. It's published by Melville House. Now, I have to admit, maybe it's just that I'm unsophisticated, but I wouldn't even know how to access this material Um to go for the, to look for these drops, uh, what can you tell us about the message board, 4chan, and then what happened later, 8chan and 8chan?
1: Yeah, uh, the the first thing that I can tell you is that there is never a reason to go to any of these places. Um, you know, the 4chan has kind of been a hotbed of of internet culture. You know, a lot of legitimate. Viral hits have come out of there, but there are some really, really awful places on it. Uh, In particular, their politics message, their politics board called POL is really one of the dankest pits of the Internet that I've ever seen. Uh, Aikun is even worse. Uh, Would I go go
0: to to the app store and buy open? No, no.
1: These are these are websites that anybody can go to. There's no. You know, this is not the dark web. You don't need an app for this. They're they are um, disturbingly easy to find. You just don't want to go there. Um, you'll you'll be bombarded with with garbage, racism, pornography. I mean, just the worst stuff. But one of the interesting aspects of QAnon is that early on, I think a lot of the early Q evangelists realized that. They didn't actually want people going to these places, because if you are, you know, a conservative who's concerned about the state of the country and you think there's a deep state and Hillary Clinton is the head of it. You want to get more information about this, but you don't want to be exposed to a place that's full of racism and porn. You're just going to run screaming from that. So what you had very early on was a was these cue drops being posted on 4chan or 8chan. But then they were reposted on other places. They were reposted on Twitter. They were reposted on um, blogs and aggregator sites where the, the drops would be posted there in their entirety. But you never had to go to 4chan. So you'd have these long Twitter threads decoding what these messages were supposed to be. But there was a layer between the the user and the place where the message was coming from because they didn't want people going to these places because they wanted to increase the number of people who believed this.
0: So board users aren't registered by email address, but rather by trip codes. What, yes. What's a trip code?
1: Sure. Uh, a trip code is a, a scrambled version of a of an eight chan or an eight kun user's password, and it's an identifier of who this person is. It's not it's it's not so much like a a, a signature. It's it's an identifier. So you know that Q had a trip code. So whoever was logging into eight chan as Q had a password, and that password was scrambled to appear as their trip code. So you knew that it was the real Q who was posting the drop. Now, early on, you didn't have these. And that's why those early 4chan posts really have no identification behind them because they they weren't using trip codes. And of course, trip codes are a password, and passwords are extremely easy to hack if you know what you're doing. So what you had early on was people who were hacking Q's password and posting as Q. There's an example in the book of this journalist uh, Dale Baran, who's a real expert on 4chan, who was able to easily hack uh, Q's trip code on 8chan and post as Q in an origami message board. Uh, hmm. There, there's no consistency to it, and there's no security to it. You, you know, the idea that this super high-functioning military intelligence unit would use these. These easily cracked passwords to leak this information, it it just boggles the mind. But these are the rhetorical traps you have to get around to believe in something like QAnon.
0: Didn't Q disappear for a time?
1: Yeah, Q has disappeared multiple times. Uh, There was the the, uh, summer of 2019 when the board went down for three months. And of course, there hasn't been a new Q drop since December. Hmm. Uh, I believe it was December 6th was the last... Q drop on Bitcoin. And I, I think this is a, just a wonderful detail. It shows just how bizarre these things are. The last Q right. drop. So it was
0: only during the Trump years? Um, only during the Trump years. Yes. 49, uh, 4,953 drops during yes. the Trump years.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, and none and none since then, and none during the, the Biden era. The last cue drop is a dead link to a YouTube video of a Trump rally uh, with the Twisted Sister song. We're not going to take it playing. Mm-hmm. And then it was the song was pulled out for copyright violation. So the last ever Q drop is a dead YouTube link. I just think that's amazing.
0: <laughs> Collaboration rewards those who go the extra mile to theorize and interpret messaging.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, you get the sort of the dopamine hits of Q believers rallying behind your theories. And then, of course, there was the ultimate dopamine hit of Q themselves spotlighting different Q believers. You would see this a lot. They would post uh, tweets. Some some Q drops are just links to tweets of, you know, right wing friendly uh, media sources or Q believers saying something patriotic. And then uh, other Q believers on Twitter would sort of pile onto that person and give them thousands of likes and comments. And Q sent me and gifts of American flags and Trump doing things. There was a very, there was like a reward system built in. It was almost like training a dog. It's it's very sort of basic psychology in a lot of ways.
0: And are these things all available to anyone who wants to read a Q drop now?
1: Sure, they are. They are still on some of the aggregate websites. Um, You know, I think they're, you know, because 8chan was pulled down and its archives were erased, I think some of those original posts are gone, but they were all cataloged in different places. And there's QDrop aggregator sites, even now where you can go and read all of the QDrops. You can read all of these other lists of things, you know, supposed sealed indictments and CEO resignations and, Proofs that Q is real. All of this stuff is, is very easy to find still.
0: How much can the January 6th storming of the Capitol be traced to QAnon? Um, and how does Donald Trump factor into the QAnon movement? Is he their messiah? I think that those are
1: great questions. Uh, for January 6th, Q was, was spent the entire election cycle, really from end of 2019, right up until the election, theorizing that Donald Trump was so powerful, so beloved, and the deep state so corrupt, and Joe Biden such a decrepit husk, that the only way that Biden could win is if the deep state and its Chinese allies cheated. A fair and free election could only be won by Donald Trump. And if Joe Biden won, the election was not free and fair. And ergo, you know, Joe Biden wins and these people all think, well, the election wasn't free and fair. Donald Trump's the real winner. All of all of this chicanery is going to be exposed. Now, Q never talked about storming the Capitol. Q never talked about Mike Pence, you know, throwing out the electoral votes of states where there was fraud none of that stuff shows up in Q drops. But the philosophy of Q, this idea of a corrupt deep state that would do anything to keep power and steal the election away from Donald Trump, that is the the basics of what drove January 6th. So it's hard to say that there are you know quantifiable links between Q and the insurrection, but the, the basic mythology is goes completely hand in hand. And then in terms of Trump, he is seen as a messianic figure. He is seen as a brilliant strategist who has the deep state on the run and he wins all the time. And the only time he loses is when he's pretending to lose because he's actually going to win bigger. A lot of these people think Trump is still president and is still issuing orders and is still controlling everything that's going on that joe biden is is a fake president who doesn't even know where he is it was just this puppet that was going to be exposed with all these audits these people really think of trump as having planned all of this out years ago that he would plan out faking his loss in the election so they could win the election even bigger and of course you then ask the simple question of wouldn't it have been easier if Trump had just won the election again in 2020, the way he did in 2016? Why all of the the you know, why all the costuming, why all the fakery? People never have an answer for that. They just say, well, it had to be this way. Why did it have to be this way? They have no idea. They have no answer for that.
0: What answer do they have to all of the predictions that they've made, including Trump being uh, named president last month? Uh When those when those things don't come true, do they just simply move on or do they explain it in some complex way?
1: They tend to do both. They tend to uh, explain it away as part of the plan or, you know, it wasn't time yet. the, The pieces weren't all in place. We didn't have everything the way we needed to have it. But then they also move on to the next thing. So Q believers really effortlessly moved on from the prophecy that Donald Trump would send out a tweet and unleash hundreds of thousands of sealed indictments and eviscerate the deep state and usher in utopia. That's what they believed for over three years. And then Joe Biden gets inaugurated. And then suddenly that's not going to happen. You know, Joe Biden is presumably not going to arrest himself and his other cronies in the deep state. But these, these people are not going to stop believing. They're not going to give up on this movement that they've devoted years of their life to and pushed away these other people in their life who, who loved them. You, you don't do that in a movement like this. You just find a new way to believe it. So the new thing that they that they latched on the new prophecy, was Trump was going to be restored to office. The, you know, The election was fraudulent. The Supreme Court was going to invalidate it. The audits were going to invalidate it. The states would decertify through some sort of constitutional magic that nobody can quite explain. And Trump would return to office. And you know, maybe it'll happen in August. Maybe it'll happen in September. Nobody really knows when it's going to happen. And any. Anybody who thinks that they have a date is probably just a deep state plant trying to make everybody look crazy, but never give up hope that Trump will be restored to office, that Trump is the real winner. Trump never loses. Trump only loses when he is actually winning even bigger. So you have wrapped yourself in this cocoon of lies and wishful thinking that makes you feel like everything is gonna be okay. And that's the the basic feeling behind all of this. You know, the, the details really don't matter so much the feeling of, I know what's going on, I know everything is gonna be okay, I just need to believe a little bit longer and trust a little bit more, and then I'm gonna come out on top. That's the core of QAnon.
0: My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org is Mike Rothschild, investigative journalist whose uh, book from Melville House is the storm is upon us, how QAnon became a movement called of everything. Uh, now we have uh, a lot of people running for office uh, who are uh, between, well, 2018 and 2020, almost 100 Republican candidates identify themselves as Q believers. And several won. Uh, you said that the Q movement has saturated Republican politics. But who else uh, other than Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert uh, has really achieved anything of prominence?
1: Well, I think it's important to, to note that the QAnon movement itself is really fading out. But its mythology has really taken hold in the Republican Party. So you may only have a couple of people in the House of Representatives who have talked about QAnon or have you know, sort of approvingly uh, tweeted about it or gone on Q media to talk about it. But you're also seeing it at the state level. You're seeing it in state legislatures, state houses. You're seeing it at the local level. We're starting to see people spouting QAnon conspiracy theories and QAnon mythology at school board meetings, at city council meetings. They're running from small town mayor, they're really working themselves into the very sort of base of politics, which is where these candidates start to bubble up. But the bigger thing is that you're also seeing the the conspiracy theories approved of by Q really worming their way into the very mainstream of the GOP. Now they're not calling themselves Qanon, and if you talk about it with these people, they'll say, "Well, I don't I don't believe those things. I don't think Q is real. I'm not I'm not a crazy person like that. I just think that the you know the election was stolen and COVID is a hoax and vaccines are poison and." You know, maybe Donald Trump will be restored to president. You know, who knows? I can't say. I don't. I'm just asking questions. There's an ethos that goes with QAnon that has really become very popular in the Republican Party, and this this sort of grand conspiracy theory of everything, to the point where you have, you know, Republican senators going, you know, making statements of like the CDC can't arrest all of us. The you know they can't make us take the vaccine. You'll you'll see, you know, really high ranking Republicans asked. Whether Joe Biden, you know, fairly won the election. And they'll give these answers that are much more complicated than they really need to be. They'll talk about, well, you know, you know, fraud and the audits, we have to see what happens. And you know, he he was certified as the winner. They won't just say, yes, he's the president, you won. You see an overcomplicating of things that really comes with belief in conspiracy theories. So I don't know that you're going to be seeing more out and out Q believers winning office. But what you will see is the beliefs that these people have becoming more mainstream in political candidates Mm. and more mainstream in people who are running for higher and higher office.
0: And you say that there are, I'm quoting, likely hundreds of thousands who buy into at least some part of the complex mythology. Um, So are there there certain areas with higher concentrations of followers? Should I assume that in very red areas, uh, we're more likely to find people who subscribe to at least part of the QAnon thinking?
1: You are more likely to find it in more conservative-leaning states, but QAnon and then the sort of the general grand conspiracy theory of everything has become very popular among a number of different demographics. There's really no one single demographic of Q believer. They tend to be white, they tend to be older, they tend to be middle class uh, or upper middle class, but you know, you've got college educated people who believe this stuff. You've got really successful uh, business owners, you know, high functioning professionals who've completely bought into this stuff. And of course, we saw this with January 6th. We saw that these people had thousands of dollars to spend on cross-country flights on you know, blocks of rooms at the Trump Hotel, on expensive tactical gear and, you know, expensive radios and, and firearms and tactical vests. These are not just sort of You know, flyover country yokels. These these are really professional, high functioning, intelligent people who just believe this this giant conspiracy theory that has them as the victims of this thousand year old cult that is going after them. And that's finally somebody standing up to it. This is the kind of thing that really can ensnare anybody. It can ensnare a lawyer living in Seattle, it can ensnare a you know, wellness blogger in Santa Monica, California, and it can ensnare a hardcore Republican in Alabama. You know, th- This provides something for almost everybody to latch on to.
0: You write that, I'm quoting, while most Q believers are just misguided people looking for a good answer to a difficult question, they're capable of significant acts of violence and are almost certainly destined to commit them. Uh, January 6th, I'm assuming, one manifestation. But all over the country, there have been innumerable instances of acts, such as the drunken Texas woman who tried to run cars off the road to help Trump battle the cabal and the pedophile ring.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, should we assume that, with that in mind, that QAnon will be with us far into the future?
1: yeah i unfortunately I think that the the mythology and the conspiracy community that has come together under this banner is is unfortunately going to be with us for a long time these, these conspiracy theories they tend to uh, they change form they change doctrine, but they never completely go away and they never will you know we are we are a conspiratorial people our brains are wired to see hidden danger and to think we're being lied to and think that there are enemies out there to get us. That's how we protected ourselves as we were sort of evolving into the beings that we are now. You you saw a tree rustling and your brain told you that it was danger. Run. Most of the time it wasn't. But if it was danger that one time you didn't run, well, maybe you were going to get eaten by a panther. And Mm. that's our brain protecting us. These people who believe this, that have taken this to a level that is just far beyond anything that is helpful or useful or productive. And unfortunately, it really functions as a a kind of a belief system for a lot of these people. They get something out of it. It it provides them an answer, provides them comfort and a community and secret knowledge. And these are things that we all yearn for. We just used to get them from our families, from our church groups, from our professional associations, from our hobby groups. And we just increasingly don't have those things anymore, especially right now as COVID continues to evolve and to get more and more contagious. It's not a surprise that the people who are denying COVID are the people who are also getting sucked into movements like this because they're looking for something real and something tangible. And QAnon provides them that. So unfortunately, no, this is going to be with us for for a long, long time to come.
0: Now, we have very little time left, but I did... I want to ask you about whether anyone has looked into how the families of QAnon followers react to having a QAnon follower in in their midst. Uh, the mother of a man named Curtis became obsessed with QAnon ideology and believed that Barack Obama and his cronies were about to go to prison. And Curtis said, "I will no longer visit her for any occasion. I don't even think that I will be talking to her again." But what happens when you do offer the truth? Uh, fact check Q drops and messaging uh, does that have much of an impact on the followers?
1: It really doesn't unfortunately Um, you know it is possible to leave QAnon behind and people do do it But you have to be open to it and you have to realize that Q is not providing you what you wanted out of it. You have to see the mistakes and the contradictions and the failed predictions and the failed prophecies. And unfortunately, most people who are enmeshed in this just don't want to see it. They they want to be part of this. This is still meaningful to them. But if you do have somebody in your life who is a Q believer or is a you know, a believer in other extremist or, or pseudoscientific conspiracy theories, and they do seem like they're starting to waver a little bit and they're, they're starting to lose faith in it, you can present yourself as a safe person to talk to. You know, you're not going to try to fact check them out of it. You're not going to send them endless articles debunking it. None of that will have any impact on them you're certainly not gonna try to belittle your way out of it or insult them or mock them. That's just gonna push them right back into the movement because the movement doesn't insult them. It doesn't think they're crazy. The Q movement thinks the people who don't believe this are crazy. So if you do have somebody in your life like that who is starting to waver and they do see you as a trusted person there are things you can do. You can help them get offline. You can help them unplug a little bit, kind of break the cycle, of the constant social media doom scrolling that we're all stuck in right now. You know, you get them into the real world. You do something physical and active with them. You talk about uh, happy memories that you had together, things that you've enjoyed together. You know, pop culture, travel, sports, whatever things that you know that they like. But that the conspiracy movement is suppressing that enjoyment because these movements are inherently joyless. They they are miserable people, even if they don't think they are. They really are. They have really isolated themselves from society and from the things they used to love. So if you can bring them back toward those things and kind of reawaken that love in them, then you can start to get them away from it. But it's very time consuming. It's very frustrating. And if this is a person who has done something criminal or made you feel unsafe in some way, you don't have to do it. There's no uh, there, there's no requirement to, to try to de-radicalize someone in your life if you don't think it's possible or if you don't think it's safe.
0: Mike Rothschild is an investigative journalist who studies Q and um uh, his book that we've been discussing is the storm is upon us how QAnon became a movement cult and conspiracy theory of everything and uh, you've convinced me that it is a conspiracy theory of anything that i want to see as a conspiracy it's been a great pleasure speaking to you
1: yeah this has been terrific
0: and uh reminded that the book is published by melville house and that brings us to the end of our show. Special thanks to segment producer Kate Guan Allison for preparing today's interview. You can access our archive of shows at WBAI.org. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. And you'll find links to our over 500 past shows at, at com. And if you would like to write to me, my email address, WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to please make a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now. That's 212-209-2950. Uh, we need your help to uh, keep bringing you these uh, these special in-depth uh, shows. Uh, WBAI is supported 100% by donations. So if you tune in uh, and uh, know uh, regularly to Leonard Lowpaid at large, or uh, if you. Uh, like what else other things you hear at the station, please consider becoming a member. You can also become a sustaining member, WBAI buddy, to help us plan for the future. Again, the number 212 209 uh, 2950 or go to give2wbai.org. This station is the only one on New York radio that is completely uh, supported by listener donations. Uh, my great thanks to everyone who has already donated, uh, and I hope on Leonard Lopate at Large when Tim Robbins will discuss We Live On, a new virtual play he's directing that's a modern interpretation of the Studs Terkel classic, Hard Times. We'll see you then.